0: A lot of times too when you look at the portal, yes, there's receivers, there's other positions that have gone in, but the portal's most valuable to quarterbacks. I mean that's that's a big part of it. And a lot of people will say, well, that's where you find your guy and Hello, welcome to Always College Football. Today is Wednesday, December seventh, and we hope that you're enjoying the show for as you're getting the show, it's on the ESPN YouTube channel. Or if you're here with us via the podcast, it's been a great season so far, but we are not done. Yes, we're going to talk about recruiting. Yes, we're going to get into signing day coming up two weeks from today, which it's pretty exciting, I might add. And we're going to talk a little bit about the portal. We know that the portal is a part of our life here in the college football world nowadays. The only unfortunate thing about doing a show that revolves around the portal is that guys might have, by the time you're consuming this content, guys might have already committed elsewhere. So just let the record be known. We record this podcast. It's not live. Uh, We wish it was, but it's not live. So you just have to take it with a grain of salt that some of the stuff that you're getting on this show might be dated by the time you're getting it, okay? That's the caveat. As we're looking at these things, I mean, guys are going in the portals for eight minutes before they find another destination, okay? So if it's a little bit dated, hang with us. We're going to try to approach it in a way where we're still going to hit who's in the portal. We're still going to hit what that player is But ultimately, it might not be the most up-to-date information because if they're in the portal right now, by the time you're getting it, they might have chosen to go to God knows where. All right. So just hang with us in that regard. We're going to do our very best to talk more about who the player is, not keep you updated with news and notes. That's what Twitter and social media is for. Speaking of social media, please follow the show at AlwaysCFB on both Instagram and on Twitter. You can get as up-to-date information on our social media platform as you can just about anywhere else. We're going to be retweeting. We're going to be liking. We're going to be acknowledging, trying to do the best we can to keep you up-to-date because college football never sleeps here, uh, especially with always college football. So let's not waste any more time. Today is about the portal. Let's dive in. All right. The portal is open for business. And I think, look, there's a million different positions. There's over a 1,000 guys that are currently in the portal. Last year, there were around 3,000 by the time it was all said and done. There were 670-something guys that entered the portal on Sunday alone and Monday when it officially became open on Tuesday. I mean, guys were announcing their intentions. So to be honest with you, it's been a little bit difficult to keep up with. But we're going to do the best we can. We are, however, going to talk about some very notable quarterbacks that are in the portal currently and what they've done up to this point that would make them a potential guy that you would go after. Uh, Like I said, this is, as of right now, some of the best available guys. A lot of times, too, when you look at the portal, yes, there's receivers, there's other positions that have gone in, but the portal's most valuable two quarterbacks. I mean, that's that's a big part of it. And a lot of people will say, well, that's where you find your guy and you need to solidify backups and guys go in and they are leave starting jobs and hope of another starting job presenting itself and they go into a competition. And then sure enough, they're beat out. CJT Daniels, who's back in the portal, I might add, in search of school number four. So as of right now, here are some notable names in the list. If you're an ACC fan, you're probably going to have a different guy under center next year. (laughs) just say that. So we'll start with Devin Leary, formerly of NC State. Coming into the season was one of the most established, one of the most talented, one of the guys that we spent an awful lot of time in the offseason talking about. He had played in eight games back in 2019, then had kind of an up and down 2020, and then in 2021, threw for nearly 3,500 yards and 35 touchdowns. He set the school record for touchdown passes beating out Philip Rivers which is obviously pretty good. Uh, and he played in six games this year prior to being injured himself. He hurt his shoulder had a, an okay start to the season. I wouldn't say it was great. I to be honest with you, I think Devin Leary in the first th- six games I thought I was going to get a little bit more. It started week 1 against DCU was a little banged up too. Didn't have great protection, didn't have didn't have some of the pieces in front of him that he had at times last year. But when you look at it, I I think that there is a very, very good chance that Devin Leary, if he lands in a spot that's favorable, he could be an impact player very soon. He's got a lot of potential, man. He's got some grit, tough as nails, got to get back and show that he's healthy, but he would be a guy I would strongly consider bringing in. He'd be, if not at the top of the list, maybe 1B to the following guy. Spencer Sanders, Spencer Sanders of Oklahoma State. He at times has been maybe the best player on the field regardless of who it was that they were playing against. You think back to 2019 when he was a freshman, the Big 12 freshman of the year. He also has seen some pretty remarkable highs, but he's also had his fair share of fairly remarkable lows. If you actually look at the performance that he had uh against say Texas, I mean, he was phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal there in 2021. If you look at the performance that he had against, say, Notre Dame and the bowl game last year, it's like, hang on. This guy is the real deal. You look at how he played in the first couple of games this season. You're like, man, this guy is a sneaky Heisman contender. But then you also look at the few games every once in a while, in which he's really not that careful with the football. He's willing to put the ball in harm's way and... He needs to eliminate some of those big misses before you can really get on board with him being a complete game changer. However, man, the ceiling is outrageously high. He has tremendous mobility, and he's shown at times to be able to carry a team that might not always be at 100%. So Spencer Sanders, to me, would 100% be a guy I would strongly consider. Some other guys, maybe just a tier down from the aforementioned two. Austin Reed. You're probably wondering who the heck is Austin Reed? Well, originally he was a division two quarterback. He was at West Florida, did a great job at West Florida and parlayed that experience and performance into a job at Western Kentucky. Of course, Bailey Zappi graduated last year. Western Kentucky, with how they throw it around the yard, became a very attractive destination for guys that were potentially leaving. So you look at Austin Reed. He wins the job, beats out Jared Daigie, and he goes on to have a pretty dang impressive season. 4,200 passing yards. He finished second in the FBS. The guy that finished first, also a transfer last year, that was Michael Penix. But Austin Reed, 36 touchdowns, 10 interceptions in his first year at the highest level of football. Now, you're going to say, well, it's not the highest level. It's group of five. Still, it's a big step up from Division Two. Now, I would anticipate him getting a real look as a Power Five starting quarterback. So, he would be kind of in that next tier behind the aforementioned Devin Leary and Spencer Sanders. Another guy that would also be in kind of that next tier would be DJ Uyunglele. He's obviously played a ton of football. We know what DJ Uyunglele looks like when he plays at a really high level. The problem is he hasn't played super confident football in each of the last two years. But if you go back three years ago to 2020, well, three seasons ago to 2020, man, watch him in the two games he started. Look at the command. Look at how the ball spins off his hand. Look at how poised he was in the pocket. Granted, that was with a better supporting cast than he's had in the last two years. But man, he was a totally different dude. Now, I do think that there were some greater things going on in DJ Uyungle's life that led to him having up and down performances the last two years. And if you really look at the start of the season, man, there were some moments when it's like, man, all right, DJ's back. He's back. He's back to being... The highly regarded prospect that came in as a top 50 player in the country, top 40 player in the country, coming out of high school, you thought, hey, this guy's a surefire Heisman contender. He's going to replace Trevor Lawrence. There will be a little drop off, but it won't be significant enough to the point where Clemson will completely fall on their face. Well, DJ Uyungle just never was able to put it all together. I think he needs a fresh start. Wherever he ends up, I would actually be surprised if he doesn't have a nice finish to his career. He's only a junior. He's got a couple years of eligibility left. But I look at this guy, man. I think he's got a chance to be a real difference maker. Now, he's got to be more accurate with the football. He doesn't need to lock in on one specific receiver. He's got to be willing to... To get his eyes through his progressions a little bit faster with more urgency and the intermediate accuracy has to take a fairly significant step up because if those things don't change, you're going to continue to get the same results when it comes to evaluating his upside. But for all intents and purposes, man, he's got natural ability. Just got to get him in the right situation, surround him with good pieces around him, and you might find yourself one heck of a starting quarterback here in the next couple years. Other quarterbacks of significance, probably in the same tier as the aforementioned two. Cade McNamara, he's already entered the portal. He's already found a destination. He's going to be going to play at Iowa. Obviously, this is a plug-and-play situation. Now, Cade McNamara is never going to be a guy that's going to completely take the game over and be the best player on the field. He's not going to be able to do that like a Spencer Sanders, like a Devin Leary. Like a J.J. McCarthy, he doesn't have the ceiling, but I can tell you what he does have is he has a predictable output every week. You know what you're going to get when Cade McNamara is under center for you. Obviously, having been in the battle last year with J.J. McCarthy, he started 14 games en route to a Big Ten championship and obviously led them into the playoff for the very first time. He did a pretty dang good job, had an off-season battle Throughout the spring and throughout fall camp, he got the start in the first game of the year. But after the second game, when J.J. McCarthy took over, it was his job from that point forward. And then, of course, McNamara had that unfortunate injury in week four against UConn that ended the season. He now gets a fresh start at Iowa. And we'll talk a lot about when these guys ultimately all make their decisions. But it can't go down from where Iowa was the last couple of years. No disrespect to Padilla. No disrespect to Petris. This is a group that ranked 123rd in passing yards per game and 127th in offensive points per game. All right, now you bring in a guy with some ability, you bring in a guy with some experience, and maybe you go out and get a couple capable weapons. You open up the offense a bit. This could be a pretty significant move for Iowa. Let's go next to Davis Brin, quarterback of Tulsa. Probably not familiar with who that is. He redshirted his first year, gosh, way back when. He's only played one game in the 2019 season, and then it wasn't really until his fourth year as a college player that he kind of bursts onto the scene. He started all 13 games there for Tulsa in 2021, threw for nearly 3,300 yards and 18 touchdowns. It was one of the best performances from a single-season standpoint that you've seen by a Tulsa quarterback in school history. Now, he followed it up this past year, had some issues with staying healthy, was in and out of the lineup a bit, but is a guy that a lot of people feel like has real upside if given the opportunity to lead the charge. All right, so those are a handful of quarterbacks that I would strongly consider going after. Some other names of note, okay? You look at Hudson Card, formerly of the Texas Longhorns was at one point a fairly highly regarded prospect coming out of Austin. He redshirted his first year. He won the starting job to start the season in 2021, but it went sideways against Arkansas and Casey Thompson ultimately took over from that point forward. He lost the job to Quinn Ewers this past year, but started four games in Quinn Ewers' absence. And even though he was playing on one leg half the time, he played pretty dang well. Now, is he ever going to be a guy that just takes off? I don't know, but he's very athletic. He is a guy that can do an awful lot for you in the pocket. And from a mobility standpoint, I think he's a guy that grew an awful lot from year two when he was a redshirt freshman to year three. And I expect similar growth from year three to year four, even though he doesn't have a ton of playing experience, even though he doesn't have a ton of starts, he would most certainly be a guy that I would strongly consider. Here's another list of guys that I think need to be in the mix. Keaton Slovis, formerly of Pitt, formerly of USC, has a real true motion, has a very, very good fundamental existence there at the quarterback spot. And I think he has some sneaky mobility, but man, he's been erratic a little bit. And I honestly don't know. You tell me this. I honestly don't know if he's played as well these last few years as he did as a true freshman. When he was thrust into the starting lineup, and when he was thrust into the starting lineup in favor of JT Daniels, he got hurt. Remember, JT Daniels got hurt in the first game of the season at halftime. Well, in comes Keaton Slovis. You look at his his true freshman season, that might have been his best year as a college player. If you can somehow get back to getting the most out of him That would be very advantageous. The guy who was the offensive coordinator, I might add, on that USC team when Keaton Slovis was the starting quarterback there early in his career was Graham Harrell. Graham Harrell is, of course, calling plays right now for West Virginia. Maybe he replaces JT Daniels at West Virginia. I don't think that's likely. By the way, West Virginia appears to have found a guy at least at the moment. But Keaton Slovis, very highly regarded last year when he was going through the transfer circuit. Opted to go to Pitt to follow Kenny Pickett. He had Auburn as an option. He had a handful of others as an option. He opted to go to Pitt. Doesn't feel as though it's going to work out there. He's going to go somewhere else. It'll be very interesting to see where he ends up. Where I would consider, if I were him, maybe Florida. Anthony Richardson's going to the NFL. They have Their backup quarterback has been arrested. Florida would make some sense if you're Keaton Slovis, but there's a handful of other schools as well that would also make the list. Speaking of Pitt, Phil Jerkovic has now left Boston College to head to Pitt. And so much of Jerkovic's performance up to this point of his career has been a little bit disappointing. You're always left wanting a little bit more. You look at the size, you look at the athleticism, you look at the potential, you look at the arm strength, But then you look at the processing. Doesn't feel like he processes very quickly. Doesn't feel like he's gotten any better. Feels like he's kind of leveled off and relies almost exclusively on athleticism when he needs to rely a little bit more on intellect. There's just a lot that have been disappointing about Phil Jerkovic up to this point. Now, the talent is there. And it's easy to look at him and say, well, he's going to be playing there in Pittsburgh now for the Pitt Panthers. He's got some Roethlisberger qualities. There's a lot of similarities with his size strength, sneaky speed, et cetera. He's got some Roethlisberger qualities, but I want to see him process quicker. He reunites with coach Frank Signetti. He was the offensive coordinator there at Boston College when Dracovic had his best years. So he'll now head to Pitt. He'll be the starting quarterback. And the musical chairs that is the ACC continues on. We've already talked about Leary. We already talked about DJ Iwuyungle. We talked about Keaton Slovis. We talked about Phil Dracovic. Clearly the ACC, a lot of quarterback spots that are up for grabs. How about Jeff Sims at Georgia Tech? As far as ceiling is concerned, there are a few guys on this list that are potentially more gifted and have more traits than Jeff Sims. He's crazy athletic. He can run around incredibly well, had to do more with less these last couple of years, especially last year when Jameer Gibbs wasn't there. He didn't have as much to rely on as he'd had in years before, but has had some issues staying healthy, has had some issues from time to time growing, relies a little bit too much on his legs and not as much from the pocket, which can open you up to potential big hits which could expose you to potential injury as well. But man, the guy's got a lot of natural gifts and the guy's got a lot of natural ability. If I'm him, I'm looking at going to Auburn. I think that would be a really impressive fit. We've seen what Hugh Freeze has done with highly mobile quarterbacks in the past. If I were him, I'd think about maybe going to UCF. You've seen what Gus Malzahn's done with highly mobile quarterbacks in the past. A lot of options on the table there for Jeff Sims and the guy that might just barely be scratching his potential. If he can go to the right spot, he might be in a really good situation. A couple more before we move on. Mention the ACC, Brennan Armstrong, formerly of Virginia. He is now in the portal as well. Very disappointing. Very disappointing 2021 campaign. But... Brennan Armstrong does have a lot of ability. Now, he's a lefty. He's going to push it down the field. He's very athletic as well. But for whatever reason, it just didn't mix there at UVA this year. Tony Elliott's system didn't really work for Brennan Armstrong. I think he would have had he entered the portal last year, been a much, much more highly coveted prospect. But at this point, probably going to depend on the situation to see exactly where he ends up. A few other names of note, quickly. We're not going to go as deep into these guys, but they are names of significance. Donovan Smith of Texas Tech, very athletic quarterback, did some nice things for the Red Raiders this year. He'd be a guy that would be intriguing. Uh, Luke Altmaier of Ole Miss came off the bench in the bowl game. The issue that I have with Luke Altmaier, there were opportunities for him to enter the game this year, and he didn't. So I definitely want to get to the bottom of why and I definitely want to get to the bottom of what went down when he was in the competition against Jackson Dart early in the season. Graham Mertz of Wisconsin, the talent's always been there, but the productivity... Decision making has certainly left something to be desired. I feel like he's kind of underachieved his whole career, but at this point, really, you look at the offense. There wasn't a whole lot of ingenuity. There wasn't a lot of creativity there in Madison over the last couple of years. So maybe he gets a fresh start and reaches his potential. And then finally, Hank Bachmeyer, a name that you probably haven't heard in a while, but Hank Bachmeyer left the team early in the season. Didn't retain the starting quarterback job there at Boise State but it'll be very interesting, I think, to see exactly where he ends up because there have been really bright moments in Hank Bachmeier's tenure. I just don't know right now if he's gotten a whole lot better from the time he was a true freshman. So those are just some names at the quarterback spot in the portal. At some date here in the future, we're actually going to rank them. Can you get on board with that? We're going to rank them and we're going to tell you when they inevitably make their decisions. We're going to tell you who hit home runs, and who might have swung and missed as far as trying to attract a quarterback in the portal?
1: All right, McRoy, let me ask you this. If you feel your team is just a quarterback away from not only com- getting into the college football playoff, but winning it, right now on the spot, who are you taking in the transfer portal at quarterback? If I can have anybody? If, you could, if they're, they're in the portal and you're one player away, you feel your team is one player away, who are you taking?
0: Uh, I would go with Devin Leary would probably be my number one quarterback in the portal right now. Like if I, if I could have anybody and I think Georgia could be a player in the portal. Uh, I think teams with actual national championship aspirations could be a player in the portal. Like I wouldn't be shocked if Ohio state maybe went and brought someone in for extra competition. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama went to the portal to try to increase competition for Jalen Milroe and Ty Simpson, the guys that will be competing for it next year, and true freshman Eli Holstein. Like I don't know. I think they would be a player in the portal. I think a lot of teams nowadays, because of how quarterback injuries have affected the game and affected rosters, I think a lot of teams are going to try to fortify those units because if you don't have one, it's going to be very difficult to remain competitive. And if you look at NC State as an example, man, you lose Devin Leary halfway through the year, Yeah, they won games, but it wasn't pretty really at any point there in the second half of the season. So having depth at the position is of the utmost importance. So I would anticipate a lot, a lot of movement, even among some of the top teams to fortify that position and to make sure that they have depth at that position as well. By the way, I don't think we're anywhere near being done right now with the amount of quarterbacks that will enter and inevitably exit the portal. It's early. It's December. These are guys that are probably disgruntled with how things went this season. They probably got beat out at some point this season. But when they start making their decisions, guess what? Guys that are on the teams that took a quarterback, they're going to now enter the portal. And it's going to be a real interesting thing to kind of evaluate here in the weeks and months to come. So we are not done. This is our first glimpse into the portal. And all we did was look at one position. I just gave you like 20 names of notable guys that you've probably watched this year that you've probably enjoyed watching this year that will be playing for a different team next year. It's weird. It's different. It's kind of fun. It's also kind of frustrating at the same time, but ultimately we're just getting started. We will continue to dive into the portal every single day because guess what? That's what coaches are doing too. We're going to try to make sure that we keep you as up to date as possible about who's going where, and we're going to evaluate some other positions here in the days to come.
1: This podcast is proud to be
0: supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. All right, it's Wednesday. Let's dive into some coaching carousel news—things that we haven't had much of a chance to get to in the last couple days. But there have been some guys that have been named the head coach at several different positions. Let's start with Power Five to Power Five. Well, soon to be Power Five: Louisville to Cincinnati. That's what Scott Satterfield did. Probably wondering, wait, why would you leave Louisville? Like that just feels—you know—I don't know. That just feels. Odd, right? I don't think it's as odd as you may think. Couple reasons why. Okay. Scott Satterfield kind of fell out of favor with a lot of people at Louisville when he had interest, public interest in the South Carolina job. He was only there for a short period of time before he had some interest in the South Carolina job. And let's just keep things in perspective for a moment. Scott Satterfield coached at Appalachian State, is from the Carolinas. Him getting back to the Carolinas makes some sense. Going and taking a job in Columbia, South Carolina makes some sense. SEC paycheck makes some sense. All those things make sense. And frankly, I don't blame Scott Satterfield for having a little interest in that job. Doesn't mean that Louisville's not a great job. It's a good job. It's a solid job, but it's a tricky job. And it's a place that has had a lot of success. But I also think, too, man, him going back home makes a lot of sense as well. You look at what happened after that, and it's felt as though there wasn't going to be a long-term commitment from Louisville's brass to Scott Satterfield. He almost had to kind of win enough games to retain his job almost every year because of how unpopular he became from a perception standpoint amongst the Louisville boosters, fans, what have you. So his flirtation, public flirtation with South Carolina, inevitably bit him. But if we remove that from the equation, Cincinnati is actually better positioned to have success in their new league than Louisville is to have in this old league. Now you're going to say, what? The ACC is extremely gettable. Okay, fine. Agree with you. Rank the jobs in the ACC. Like rank them just um, out of sheer curiosity. All right, Clemson, Florida State, Miami. You know, I mean, rank them. Keep going. North Carolina, NC State. How far down the list is Louisville? Just out of sheer curiosity. Because you can make a case that they're four. You can make a case that they're nine. But if you want to rank the jobs in the ACC, Louisville is not at or near the top like at the very worst or at the very best it's fourth. Very best. Behind Clemson, Florida State, and Miami. I like, got the very best it's fourth. No disrespect to Louisville, it's just the truth. Well, in the Big 12, tell me this. Look at the Big 12 and tell me how you would rank the jobs. I mean, they I think they're all pretty solid, but I think I could make a fairly strong argument that Houston, Cincy, UCF, and BYU are in the top half of the Big 12 right now. And which program has had more sustainable success of late? Cincinnati or Louisville? And I'm not trying to kick Louisville while they're down. I think it's a great place. I think it's awesome. I've called games at Louisville. I've covered Louisville. I think it's a great spot. I think you can win big there. But in recent years, Cincinnati has been more successful. So to me, it was not this mind-blowing idea, considering the open look into possibly getting the South Carolina job, the current setting right now around Louisville, and just how frustrated they were because of that flirtation, and the sustainability that Cincinnati's program has experienced. Plus, Cincinnati's pathway to a potential championship in the Big 12 feels very real. Right now, tell me how Louisville is going to get to the championship in the ACC because it feels like a pretty significant uphill climb. All right. That move made a ton of sense to me. Where does Louisville go from here? First call is Jeff Brom. Sh- shouldn't require a whole lot of, of conversation. He's your guy, formerly your quarterback. I don't know what the financial situation is at Louisville, but that's the guy I'd love to go after. But Purdue's got pockets and the Big Ten has pockets too, so it might be difficult to reel him down after what was another nice season there in West Lafayette. Let's go next to Jamie Chadwell, who leaves Coastal Carolina to become the head coach at Liberty. Not a huge surprise here. People are going to say, that feels like a lateral move. I don't disagree. But when it comes to finances, it's not comparable. Jamie Chadwell, up until 2020, was making about three hundred and fifty dollars or $400,000 a year. It's a lot of money, no doubt about it. But when it comes to college football coaching at the highest level, he's one of the lowest paid coaches in America back in 2019. All right. Well, after 2020, had a great year, bumped him up to $850,000. He's hovering somewhere right now prior to taking this job around the million dollar range, maybe slightly above, maybe slightly below. I don't have the exact number in front of me because there are incentives. There are bowl bonuses. There are conference championship game bonuses that are all baked in. Either way, He's not making as much as he's going to make at Liberty. He's making $4 million a year at Liberty. Hugh Freeze signed a $40 million deal with Liberty earlier this season. Liberty has deep pockets. So it makes perfect sense that Jamie Chadwell, albeit might appear to be a lateral move. It's not a lateral move when it comes to your finances. He's now making four times at Liberty what he was making at Coastal Carolina. Makes perfect sense. Thought it was a really, really smart move by Jamie Chadwell to finally take one this year because you lose Grayson McCall who knows exactly what's going to come of it here in the years to come, but man, it's time to strike and he did a great job at coastal Carolina. Now coastal Carolina will be a much more attractive destination to a coach that might consider the move. Alex Golish is moving from Tennessee's offensive coordinator. He's now the new head coach at USF. It's interesting. The two candidates that were in the USF pool, there might've been more, but I know that Dion had the opportunity to potentially take that job. Well, how they ended up on Goalish, they just feel very different to me. Golish is an offensive guy. Dion, of course, defensive guy. Like Golish comes from the Hypal tree where they ran crazy tempo. You all know what Golish and what Tennessee's offense looked like this year. It's no surprise that he gets a gig. It was just one that I wasn't really... I, I didn't really... I didn't see this one coming. Needless to say, I did not see this one coming. The other thing that I have, I think USF, I think it's a hard job. I it's a really hard job. Here's why. USF 15 years ago was ranked as high as number two in the country. And I think everyone that's a decision maker or an administrator at USF looked at it and said, well, man, we can do this. We don't need to invest in the program. Like We didn't invest in the program and look, we're number two in the country. Well, that hasn't left people's minds yet. They're from a decision-making standpoint. Meanwhile, UCF has passed them by. Meanwhile... FAU at at times has passed them by. Shoot, FIU has been relevant more recently than USF. Feels like a long time since USF has had a sustainable product. Well, hopefully, Alex Golish can provide that. I'm certainly hopeful for him, and I'm hopeful for the Bull fans down there in Tampa. Now moving on to a couple more high-profile hires. (laughs) Tom Herman takes the aforementioned FAU. Ironically enough... Four teams from Conference USA now have new coaches that will be taking on jobs in the American. Charlotte, FAU, UAB. These are all schools that are moving from Conference USA to the American Conference. Well, they all felt like they needed to make a splash when it comes to their hires and look at some of the names that have been called. Charlotte went and got Biff Pogey, I might add, who's the richest coach in America. (laughs) So, but Tom Herman, formerly of Texas, will now take over for Willie Taggart, who was fired after three seasons, three underwhelming seasons, I might add. But Tom Herman now at FAU, he's back in the game. Thought it was an interesting hire, made sense. Obviously, Tom Herman dominated the group of five the last time he was there. That was at Houston. A little different animal. But now he's down in Florida, in Boca Raton in particular. How will he recruit? And what part of the country will he recruit to? Surely he's going to get down there into into South Florida. But will he kind of tap into guys that he's had in the past, maybe in Texas? Go back to, to... to Ohio, see if you can't get some guys there. He's obviously got roots in in the city of Houston. I mean, I think that this is going to be very interesting for FAU. What does their recruiting footprint look like? Because Tom Herman, man, he's also a guy that these kids have seen win big games. Now, he was fired at Texas in favor of Steve Sarkeesian. But I don't ever really view Tom Herman as having, you know, the program never fell off a cliff. Yeah, they lost games they shouldn't. Uh, Way too many of those, but they also won games as an underdog. Tom Herman has performed exceptionally well as an underdog over the course of his career, not just at Texas, but also at Houston. Now, how does he perform as a favorite and how often will he be a favorite when he's at FAU? But I'm excited for him. I know the way things went down at Texas left a bad taste in his mouth. Hopefully he can revitalize his career down there in Boca. And then finally, Trent Dilfer, first opportunity he now gets to lead a FBS job. UAB had kicked the tires on a few other guys, had talked to Tyson Helton, supposedly, had talked to a few others, had reached out to Dion. Dion never called him back. (laughs) So UAB had reached out to a bunch of different candidates. But Trent Dilfer, who was coaching at the time at a high school program in Nashville, he's very tied in to the Elite 11, has good relationships throughout the country, having worked at ESPN, and having covered the sport at the high school level for a really long time, I, I don't know about the hire I, I'll be the first one to tell you like I know Trent and have developed a relationship with Trent he covered me I've spent time on his podcast I've been around Trent and have really enjoyed his company over the course of the last handful of years that we've had a relationship but I don't know how he is as a coach like, I I'm this is new to me as well. So I'm excited for them because I think UAB is a place where you can win. Bill Clark did it. They didn't do it as a high enough level this past year. That's why they went in a different direction. But this is a program that now has a brand new stadium that's state of the art in downtown Birmingham. It is a program that is moving to the American. Finally, they're going to have some finances that they're going to be able to use and, and use in other sports. They've already had success in basketball with Andy Kennedy. And and Jelly Walker, who's awesome, that plays for UAB basketball as well. So there's a lot. feels like there's a lot of momentum around UAB right now. And hopefully for them and for Trent, it's the right move for him. So either way, a lot of movements on the coaching carousel. We will continue to keep you updated with some of the movements that are coming. The last thing that I'll hit is on a coordinator front. Sean Lewis, formerly of Kent State. Is allegedly going to become the next offensive coordinator of Colorado. Deion Sanders has kind of evaluated the landscape, and we had talked about this the other day. Dion's going to be able to recruit. He doesn't need anyone on his staff that needs to recruit. Like he can do the recruiting on his own. He needs great XO football coaches to make sure that they can create not just a talent advantage in recruiting, but also a schematic advantage when putting offense together. Sean Lewis at Kent State runs all different types of stuff. But his main deal is tempo. He played at Wisconsin, ironically enough. So the fact that he played at Wisconsin and coached at Wisconsin and yet runs crazy hyperspeed tempo... That's pretty wild in and of itself, but I think it's interesting that a head coach in the MAC is leaving to become a coordinator. He might be the first of many that decide to make that move because the finances as a power five coordinator are as good as they've ever been. So an interesting move there. We'll keep you updated with anything we hear about Dion's staff as he
1: continues to put those things together.
0: Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, like we'll do as often as we can in the offseason, we've stockpiled a bunch of questions and we will continue to get to your questions and submit them at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. You can also submit them to our social media at alwayscfb on Instagram and Twitter. We check those every day as well. So if you have a question, you don't feel like sending an email. Hit us up in social media. We'll make sure we get into the show. Just tell us your name and where you're from, and we'll make sure we put it in there. So we really appreciate that. Coops, let's kick it off.
1: All right. We'll let you know first that we did get some questions on the uh, Instagram uh, post. So those will be coming. They're bold questions, but those will be coming. right. First email question that we got from Brett. What are your thoughts about how coaches handle QB controversies? Are too many of them loyal to a fault? Probably a good example of this is the Clemson scenario. Oh, and
0: for the record, when we do mailbag, I don't know the mailbag questions. Like, Koobs, like, Koobs thinks it's great to have like an authentic, off-the-cuff re- reaction. So, like, if I don't back them up with facts and stats and stuff like that, it's because Koobs likes to throw me curveballs. He thinks it's funny to watch me squirm. So that right there is called a filibuster to buy myself time to think. All right. The best example of this is two different programs this year in which I feel like coaches had a bit of a blind spot as it related to a quarterback that was just not playing at a really high level. You look at Haynes King at Texas A&M, who last year in his early season struggles, didn't play great, kind of turned the football over. Well, he won the job again this offseason, came out of the gate, didn't play great, turned the football over, gave way to Max Johnson, did have to make some spot starts down the stretch. But for whatever reason... I think Jimbo liked him more than anybody else. It just, there was something missing there with Haynes King and the sporadic accuracy was part of it. The other one would be DJ Uyunglele at Clemson. We're not going to beat a dead horse here. DJ is now in the portal. As we referenced earlier, he's going to get a fresh start and I hope that he finds that for sure. DJ is a great kid. And I think there's more to the story there as it relates to his inconsistencies and lack of confidence. The last couple of years. But Dabo and Jimbo in some ways kind of had a bit of a blind spot as it related to a quarterback that was not performing up to the optimal level. And I'm sure there's a handful of others, but those are the two that come to my head at the top of the list. I think that there's something tricky about dealing with quarterbacks now because the second you decide to go in one direction with a starter, you're oftentimes going to lose the backup. We've seen it done several different ways. At Baylor, for example, with Dave Aranda last year, he chose Blake Schappen, which gave Gary Bohannon the opportunity to transfer after spring football. Not many coaches are doing it that way. Most coaches are keeping two around, a la Cade McNamara, J.J. McCarthy situation. You start one one game, you start one the next game, then you go with the guy that's got the hot hand that wins the job on the field in game number three. That's the way most coaches are going about it because they don't want to run the risk of not having a guy available. So I think it's very difficult to handle the quarterback derby, if you will, right now, because reps are very valuable. Your starter needs the most of them, but you can't run the risk of losing the backup because if your starter gets hurt, your season, for all intents and purposes, is over.
1: All right, well done. Next one from Clay in Louisville. Why do game control teams like Georgia and Michigan Dominant defenses with a balanced offense get so much hate or so little respect from the media compared to quick score teams like Ohio State and Tennessee, teams with mediocre defenses but explosive pass-heavy offenses? Well,
0: I think there's a few reasons why. Um, One, I think people that cover the sport don't really know the intricacies of the run game and run fits, so it's a difficult thing to explain. I mean, anyone and their brother can draw up and diagram a big post that you throw over the top for a touchdown. Like that's not, it's not a difficult thing to consume. I also think too, there is a misconception when you look at some of these offenses, you get the sense, man, they're never going to be stopped. They're never going to be stopped. It just like, no matter what Ohio state rolls out of bed and scores 40, no matter what Tennessee does the same. Uh, That's not, And they probably think that most teams that are, quote, ball control, if it doesn't go a very specific way, it's going to be difficult for them to keep up with the teams that can score 40. But I think it's a complete misconception that the second these teams wake up to play the game, they're scoring 40. I mean, if you have a team that can disrupt the rhythm of the offense by playing keep away, there's still a place for that in college football. Without question, there's a place for it. Look at what George has done. Look at the times what Michigan's done. Look at what other teams have done throughout look at what Baylor did last year. I mean, there's a place for complimentary football. It's just not as flashy. I mean, look at the Heisman Trophy. Like what what is the Heisman Trophy now? It's a quarterback award. It's about numbers, stats, touchdowns. Like people become enamored with stats, points, touchdowns, etc. Whereas it takes a real football mind to appreciate the nuances of you know center or guard t- or you know uh, GT counters. It takes another layer of football comprehension to appreciate Q power off of zone read. Like it takes another layer of understanding when looking at the RPOs, and you have very specific RPO play side. And you have a number look on the backside where you can toss it to the running back. And if your will linebackers snuck and he's head up with the center, guess what? I'm tossing it. But if he stays wide and is over the guard, guess what? I'm throwing the RPO to the right side or I'm going quarterback run off a fake pitch to the right side. Like There's a lot going on in college football and it's very, very detailed and it's very difficult to digest. I think it's really easy to digest the passing game so people become enamored with that because they're more familiar with it. And I think that it's as a result, those teams are kind of propped up and, and they, they probably shouldn't be, but it does provide great value when evaluating some of these ball control teams that everyone thinks stinks. All right. Final thought of today, we'll get to the Heisman trophy a little bit more down the road. I have a lot of thoughts on the Heisman trophy used to be to me, the greatest award in all of sports. It is no longer. I'll explain at a later date. But the Heisman finalists have officially been announced. Uh, It now more than ever is a quarterback award as evidenced by the finalist this year. C.J. Stroud of Ohio State. This is in no particular order, I might add. C.J. Stroud of Ohio State is a finalist. Max Duggan of TCU is a finalist. Caleb Williams of USC is a finalist. And then finally, the quarterback of the Georgia Bulldogs, Stetson Bennett. Is a finalist. So clearly, uh, those four guys among the four most outstanding players in college football. They have to be, right? That's why they are up for the award. I digress. We're going to talk about the Heisman. right? We are going to talk about it because I'm not sure there's an award that has lost more luster with me in the last handful of years. I'll explain down the road, though. Maybe on Monday after the award is announced, maybe I'll go on a rant. You might want to check back then. For all of us here at Always College Football, thanks for being with us. It's been awesome to kind of dive into the portal like I suggested earlier. Keep checking with us and keep checking our social media at Always CFB. We will do the best we can to keep you posted on guys that are in and out of the portal, decisions that are being made. We're just getting started on the free agent season. We're also going to get into here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get into some recruiting. We're going to get into some players that are deciding, some notable high school players that might be deciding. We might not dive into like high school tape or anything, but we will evaluate some trends as it relates to teams' classes, how many guys are going relative to portal guys, etc. So there's a lot that we're going to dive into. There's a lot that we're going to assess here in the weeks to come, so it's a good time for you to be with us every single day. For all of us here at Always College Football, please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out, It helps the show out. Please continue to hit us up in our social media. We'll do our best to answer some of your questions at always CFB, Instagram, and Twitter. You can hit us up in our email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. That's beneficial as well. But most of all, tell your friends. That's the biggest thing. We don't have a marketing budget. We don't spend money on awareness. All we're doing is just basically trying to grow this thing from the grassroots and we couldn't be more grateful and thankful to y'all for the help that you've provided make this show at least notable (laughs) for a lot of different people so it's been awesome and we really really appreciate it for all of us here at always college football for jack foster and mark kubiak i'm greg mcelroy i hope you have a wonderful day and check back with us tomorrow and remember it's always college football